Well, as Brian said, we're going to jump back in in just a moment to uh, our teaching on uh, loving like Jesus love. But before we do that, did want to take just a moment and just recognize uh, the, the fact that it is uh, Veterans Day in, in our in our country and. Uh, the little distinction, Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Memorial Day is kind of a time we, we reflect on and remember and celebrate uh, with gratitude those who gave their lives uh, in service to our country. Veterans Day is, is a day that we, we can set aside just to say thank you uh, to the men and women who uh, served us uh, in helping to uh, secure the, the freedoms that we uh, so uh, enjoy and, and quite honestly very often take for granted, uh, don't we? And so I just wanted to take just a moment here in the context of our service and recognize uh, even the men and women who are in the room right now who have uh, served. So if you're here this morning and you've served in any branches uh, of our armed services, uh, we want to invite you to stand. We want to just say thank you to you. So uh, men and women across the way here, excellent, awesome. A good group. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Very, we are uh, indebted to your service. And even as uh, we think about that and in just a moment, I, I do want to give voice to a prayer, but I, I want you just to even be aware of just kind of the reality a little bit that's, that's taking place even among many of our veterans. Uh, according to the U.S. Department of Public Affairs, uh, about 20 veterans a day are, are taking their life. 20 veterans a day, that's, that's much higher than the national average. Uh, tends to skew much younger, so younger veterans who have been serving in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, among other places, a much higher percentage uh, of them. And so... Uh, even as you think about that and, and, and say thank you, uh, let, let's remember those individuals, the very, very real struggles. It's impacting them, it's impacting their families, their work associates, and uh, on and on the list goes. And so certainly would encourage you if you uh, uh, personally are there or know of somebody that maybe just has some struggles coming out of their, their service, there are some great resources out there. And, and I've, I've tried to encourage folks through the year, listen, reaching out for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. Not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of wisdom. And so there are resources, and I would just encourage uh, you to even encourage the people in your life uh, to, to, to seek, uh, seek out uh, good counsel to help with those things. And so with that in mind, uh, I'm just going to invite you, before we dive into our teaching this uh, morning, let's just pause and say uh, thank you to God and thank you for these men and women. Let's pray. Father, we do... Uh, just come before you with a, a, a knowledge that we are so, 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 so blessed. And Father, that blessing that we come materially, spiritually, uh, uh, just the education opportunities, travel opportunities, recreational opportunities, uh, the homes we live in, the, uh, on and on and on it goes, Father. Just even the freedom to assemble in a place like this to worship, Father, we know that that comes certainly from your hand, uh, but it also is comes through uh, the agency of your people. And, uh, and Lord, thank you for men and women who have served through the years to help secure those freedoms, uh, who have uh, stepped in, in in many, many ways. Father, we thank you for those men and women who are currently serving uh, on the front lines as we 
even in this moment this morning, have troops deployed across the world. And Father, we pray your hand upon them, a hand of of protection, a hand of uh, uh, empowerment, a hand of uh, uh, wisdom, particularly for those that are making decisions and those leadership roles all up and down the chain of command, Father, that you would grant them wisdom to to make wise decisions, uh, decisions that would be in line with what you're seeking to do in the world. Uh, Father, uh, wise decisions that don't unnecessarily uh, uh, endanger uh, people. Uh, Father, we uh, just thank you that uh, we can come before you and, and cry out, and, and Lord, just even pray very particularly just aware of reality on the ground and, and some of the struggles uh, that are taking place. Uh, and Father, I pray, pray for some of those men and women, Lord, that, that they would not uh, get sucked up so deeply into hopelessness uh, that they would miss the hope, uh, the hope that is available in Jesus Christ first and foremost. Uh, the hope and help and resources that are available around them. And Father, if there's any way that you would want to use us as part of that, that network of support, of encouragement, of help, of hope, Father, we, we want to be available to do that. Father, thank you uh, for this nation. It is imperfect for sure. It gets crazy at times as we've just walked through a, a, a kind of another wacky election. Uh, but Father, we... Uh, We just praise you uh, that it is a land of great opportunity and help us to steward it well. And we ask this together now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you uh, for joining uh, in that. Uh, As we kind of dive into the the focus this morning on the the selflessness of love, I want to just share with you one thing I read uh, from an author. He was talking about uh, someone that was in the congregation singing, much as we were just a few moments ago. And and there was one young man there that that, that he was singing out and had some enthusiasm. And and people around him kind of started stopping and listening and leaning in. And it wasn't because he had a bad voice. He had a, a rather pleasant voice. It's just he had the words slightly wrong. It was that old hymn they were singing, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Uh, but somehow, whether subconsciously or just not aware of the right words or whatever, he was singing just out loud with enthusiasm, have mine own way, Lord, have mine own way, right? And you think about that, and it's kind of like, well, that's kind of goofy. And you think, actually, that might be honest. <laughs> that might be the hymn some of us would sing more often if we were more honest, didn't it? The story prompted one author to pen these satirical words. Have mine own way, Lord, have mine own way. Let me be in charge here, at least for today. I really don't need you, say what you will. I'll get my own plan, Lord, you can just chill. There is a kind of a sense that, that sometimes we say that. I want my own way. And yet as we look to Paul's letter to the Corinthians and those descriptors of love, those verbs that say this is how love is lived out in the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, we find these words, love does not insist on its own way. Love lives differently. Love 
doesn't function selfishly, but selflessly. That love does not insist on its own way. And as we've been walking through this series, what we've been doing is saying, here's this descriptor uh, in Paul's language in his letter, but here is the, the example of that in the life of Jesus. This is how Jesus lived that out. And I want us to do that once more this morning as we kind of have been following along and we're coming to those last moments of, of Jesus' life as he's headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's recorded in several of the Gospels, but we're going to focus primarily on Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26 as we, we look to the example of Jesus, of someone who did not insist on his own way, but operated with a selfless love. And I want you to see, first of all, just kind of this general theme of his life of seeking the will of God, of seeking the will of the Father. John's gospel records for us the words of Jesus, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And as we're going to look at this episode in the garden, this seeking of God's will was not just something that Jesus did in one isolated moment, but it was the rhythm of his life. It is how he he lived his life. He came down uh, for the point of not doing his own will, but the will of him who sent me. And as we think about the Garden of Gethsemane, we, we can think of the fact that in many ways, the story of the whole Bible uh, could be summed up in the story of two gardens. The first garden is the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden ruined us. The Garden of Eden ruined us because in the Garden of Eden, a man and a woman stood in that place and a man and a woman said, have mine own way. I know what you've said. I know what you've provided. I know the, the, the do not touch, but I think I'm going to choose my way. I think I'll go with my gut on this one. And in that moment, in that moment, there was an impact not only on their lives, but on the, all the rest of God's creation. They as kind of stewards of God's creation. And it is that which is rippled through human history, the reality of sin, the reality of, of choosing our own way and that, that, that ruin has come as it's distorted the will of God. It's distorted the creation of God. It's distorted relationships. It's damaged. It's destroyed. The Garden of Eden and a decision to choose my way ruined us. But there's another garden. It's the one in Matthew 26. And it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane rescued us. It rescued us. Because unlike the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, though the struggle was, was so intense, there was Jesus who stood in our place. Jesus who, who came to that critical moment and said, not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, in that decision, and the Calvary and the tomb and the resurrection and the ascension that followed from it. He provided not for our ruin, but from our rescue. Rescue from the ruin that had been instituted by 
selfishness by choosing our own way. Jesus' entire life as he came, God in the flesh, was about seeking the will of God, seeking the will of the Father. But as we come to Matthew 26 there in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find a very real struggle. There is struggling with the will of God. Follow with me, if you will, in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There was this intense struggle. In fact, as Luke's gospel gives us a, another bit of information as it describes the struggle. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat become, became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That, that the intensity of that struggle was, was so real and so intense that it began to manifest physically and that, and that blood actually began to come through those pores of his skin. Please understand that what Jesus was struggling with was not primarily the physical pain and death, uh, as horrendous as that was going to be, but what he was most intently struggling with was what he called the cup. Let this cup pass before me. This cup, because in this cup, he was going to accomplish what he came to do. And he would do it willingly as he laid down his life in surrender to the Father. John's gospel says, for this reason, Jesus said, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. It was not that he, he was forced to. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And with this charge from his father, but he wrestled with it because of the severity of what it was, because that cup, that cup represented the wrath of God. It is imagery used in Isaiah 51 and Jeremiah 25, among other places. And it is this, this pouring out of, of a righteous, holy, just wrath of a holy God upon sin. And Jesus would take this cup, he would, he would take the, upon himself the full wrath of God against sin. And it was that, it was knowing all that that involved. As he cried out in the agony of the cross, being forsaken by the Father. It is that that he struggled so intensely with leaning into and walking into. He struggled with the will of God. And so will you and I. You see, while it all, it's always best to do the will of God, it's not always easy, is it? Well, while perhaps in most of our heads we would say, I know it's best, but we also recognize it's not always easy. 
It's not always easy. In fact, it is, it's easier to live selfishly at times. It's easier to live out of the flesh than submit in the spirit. Mark Twain is credited with the quip. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand. It's that that recognition that that sometimes the will of God is not this like big old huge mystery thing in a fog. But it's crystal clear. It's just not easy to do. It's just not easy to do. So what do you do when you come to that moment and you're, you're struggling with the will of God and there's a part of your brain that says, I, I know it's the best, uh, but it's hard. I'm struggling. I want you to take your cue from Jesus here. Fight your greatest battles in your strongest position. And your strongest position is on your knees. Look at those next couple of verses, verse 40 and 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Fight my greatest battles from the position of greatest strength. And that's not powering up in the flesh. That's submitting in the spirit. That's in prayer. That's why I think it has been well said, you know, if the, if the devil can't keep you, make you bad, he'll make you busy. Too busy to pray. Too exhausted at the end of the day. I sleep and... Fight your greatest battles from the position of greatest strength. And that's submitted to him. And prayer is the posture of submission. Prayer is my declaration of dependence upon him, isn't it? Fight my greatest battles from my strongest position. We see Jesus whole life centered upon seeking the will of God. But in this garden, we find the intensity and the reality of his struggle with the will of God. But ultimately, we know, and we praise him for it, he surrendered to the will of God. There is surrendering to the will of God. Look at the next few verses, verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Submit. Surrender. And again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again because you may have to keep fighting the battle over and over and over again in prayer. Then he came to the disciples and said to them sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What, what is it that in that moment gave him the, the strength and resolve to, to stand and be ready to face that mob that was coming? To know what was going to unfold. To not respond in selfishness and, and call down a legion of angels to his defense. It's because in that prayer, 
that grew out of a life he had submitted anew and afresh to the will of his Father. You and I will surrender to God's will consistently when there are at least three things that are true about us. When I truly trust in God's wisdom that he always knows what is best for me. When when I truly kind of begin to understand in my head and in my heart that, that God's ways are better than my way, that when I choose my will over his, it leads to ruin. But when I choose his way, it leads to rescue. It leads to, to the things that he wants to unfold in and through my life. I trust in God's wisdom. When I truly trust in God's wisdom, but also when I truly trust in God's love, to know that God is, is not somebody up there kind of saying, I, let me play with this guy today, right? Uh, but, but everything that he does comes from a heart of love. And, and that he not only knows what is best, but in his love, he desires what is best. That's not always what's easiest. That, that's not always what's most comfortable. But in his love, he desires what's best And when I truly trust in his power, in his power, that he always has the ability to bring about what is best for me. You know, sometimes we may have somebody and and maybe we even think they they know the right thing to do and they want the best thing for me, but they they don't have the resources to make it happen. They They don't have the capacity to bring that home. When we come to God, when we come to the Father, I trust in his wisdom. He knows what's best. I trust in his love. He always desires what's best. I trust in his power. He has the capacity, the ability to always bring about what's best for me. When I truly believe those things, when I truly trust in those things, then it becomes a little more, okay, I can submit. I can surrender. I can align my will with his. But as we see Jesus not insisting on his own way, but surrendering to the will of God, it would be perhaps right to ask the question, well, why? Why did Jesus go through Gethsemane? Why did he go to the cross of Calvary? Why did he take that cup full well knowing, more than any of us in this room will ever understand, full well knowing all that that involved? Why would he do that? And I think the ultimate answer is love. It's love. And I'm not just kind of like saying that because that's like a culturally cool thing, right? That's what Paul wrote about. Paul who became astonished by God's love for him. Talked about how he began to to live his life once Jesus Christ became real to him. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, now catch that last phrase, who loved me and gave himself for me. It was love that, that propelled him through Gethsemane and to the cross of Calvary. And it is to impact the way that you and I live our lives. Paul would, would write to the Ephesians and walk in love. 
That's why we're talking about love like Jesus loved. It's a command. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It was love that compelled him. Amy Carmichael wrote a rather long kind of a poetic piece entitled If. I think you can find it online. It was kind of a conversation out of a night of of wrestling with the Lord about some things. And toward the end of that uh, piece, uh, she wrote uh, these words in this kind of conversation with Christ. Beloved, let us love. Lord, what is love? Love is what is that which inspired my life and led me to my cross and held me on my cross. Love is that which will make thy joy, make it thy joy to lay down thy life for thy brethren. Lord, evermore give me this love because in my flesh I don't have it. So what does it look like for you and I to love like Jesus loved? To love in a way that does not insist on its own way. To to love in a way that is not selfish but can function out of selflessness. Because we are called to love like Jesus loved, are we not? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another Just as I have loved you, that you also are to love one another. You are to love. I am to love the way that Jesus loved. A little later in John's gospel, this is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But I want you to back up to John 13 there. A new commandment. A new commandment. Because maybe if you read that, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but it's like, oh, in what way is that a new commandment? I mean, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love God, the Father, with, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he was quoting Old Testament, what we would say are Old Testament passages, Right? I mean, it's not like no one had ever heard love one another before. But what was new about it was we have a new enabling, a new empowering to love through Jesus Christ. We we have a new example of of what love looks like in Jesus Christ. It's not a a love that tries to figure out the loopholes, but but a love that selflessly gives on behalf of another. And so let me try to kind of sum this up in a phrase as we think about this whole journey we've been on of, of loving like Jesus loved. What is that? Well, I, maybe the simplest way to define it is in this phrase. Loving like Jesus loved is to be toward others as Christ has been toward us. To be toward others as Christ has been toward us. Love one another just as I have loved you. That the calling upon my life is to be toward others as Christ has been toward me. 
C.S. Lewis talked about the gift love of God, that agape, unmerited love. And he described it as saying, this gift love desires what is simply the best for the beloved. That I desire what is best for the beloved. That is what it begins to look like to be toward others as Christ has been toward me. So where, where does that show up? Where does that show up? Well, it shows up in about every area of our life, but let me just kind of think of categories if, if we can do that this morning. First category is, is simple, my time, right? I mean, if it doesn't show up in my time, it doesn't show up in my life, right? Hey, you know, what, what gets scheduled gets done, you know. It's been said, and I think it's absolutely true, particularly children and parents, that children spell love, T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. And we give our time to that which we love. I struggle to give time to the Father. Say something about a love. It's may cut into other time. It may be cutting into time that would have been spent chilling, pursuing a hobby, doing something else. But the selflessness of love makes time. It carves out time. It captures time. It prioritizes time to be with, to pour into a beloved. It shows up in our time. But it will also include our words, right? And as we look at the life of Jesus, we see words matter. And we see the power of words to heal and to harm. And we know from Jesus that love sometimes looks like comforting words and encouraging words. And we all need those and we need to be giver of those. But let us also be clear this morning that sometimes selfless love looks like a word of confrontation. A word of, I'm going to be willing to lean in and raise the tough subject. And sometimes we don't do that because we, we have rationalized, well, I, I love them so much I don't want to hurt them. But the reality behind that very often is I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to risk them rejecting me. I don't want to raise this because I'm afraid they'll shoot back with this and this and this and this. And really, I don't raise it not because I'm so concerned about them as I'm concerned about myself. And I'm operating out of selfishness instead of selflessness. It's going to include my words. Comforting, encouraging, supporting, challenging, confronting. Certainly a caring confrontation. Certainly well done, skillfully hope, but done out of a heart of love. It's going to include my actions, my actions, 
There are things that I do that I act on behalf of another, that I just don't act on my own behalf, but I act, I do those things that will help bring about the best for that beloved, that one that I love. And so I act in ways, not just once in a while, but with a consistent pattern. My actions are those actions which benefit the life of another. I act on behalf of another. But this will also include my resources, right? Uh, the, the, the stuff that God has entrusted to me, that, that I, I will live, if I live with a, a, a selfless love, if I live in a way that does not insist on its own way, it shows up in generosity. That I become generous with the resources that God's entrusted to me. And maybe that's the financial resources. Maybe that's the home or the, the tools that I have or, or this piece of equipment or, or whatever it may be. Or maybe it's some of the expertise or knowledge that I have or the relationships that I have. But I, but I share the resources of my life. When the Old Testament in, in that nation of Israel, they kind of set up this kind of beginning standard of the tithe, the first 10%. And as followers of Jesus Christ who know more about the love of Christ and the sacrificial, selfless love of Christ, we just say that that's the beginning point. That's the training wheels of, of giving. That, that's kind of the, the, the place that starts us on a generosity journey. It helps kind of begin to keep in check uh, that tendency toward selfishness that we can all rationalize and justify along the way. And so selfless love shows up in my resources. How did I use my resources? Behalf of the, the kingdom of God, on behalf of other people. How do I use my resources? And then I want to suggest one last one this morning, and not a comprehensive list at all, but probably enough to help us all take a few steps forward, huh? And that's the whole area of what I call just attention. Attention. That in a a distracted world, selfless love sometimes just shows up in giving somebody your attention, right? In maybe putting down that screen right and listen I'm not a technology hater I I like it I I think I think there's so many advantages that we have with the technology we have I mean I'm kind of a fan but I realize that any technology is kind of like anything else in the world it's kind of a double-edged sword isn't it well that can be a source of good and progress can also be a source of of destruction And I'm not talking about like some just bad content. I'm just talking about what it does to our our time. And sometimes it's a big 60-inch screen, right? And, And sometimes selfless love looks like I'm gonna turn off that screen. I'm gonna put down that. I'm gonna disconnect my mind from all the stuff that I'm still processing from work and I'm going to give you my attention I'm going to give you my attention and I know, I know some of you are saying well, Pastor Jeff with all due respect like you're old, okay I mean, right I mean, hey 
We grew up with this. I was born into this. I can like do a screen and, and have conversations and I, I, can, I can like multitask. No, you can't. And that's not just preacher talk. Go look at the research. You don't multitask. You just jump back and forth from task. Right? And you don't give any of those tasks or that person the attention that perhaps it needs and certainly in some cases deserves. And so I might just challenge me and challenge you that for some of us, selfless love, not insisting on my own way, is going to look like giving somebody not only time but attention. Attention that says, you matter. You matter to me. As we think about this, let me try to tie some things together. Loving the way Jesus loves means being less insistent on having our own way and more consistent in putting others first. It's not going to be perfect tomorrow. But loving the way that Jesus loves means that as I continue on this journey, as I continue to grow in a relationship with God, it continues to show up in the way that I, that I treat other people. And as I continue submitting myself to the will of the Father, it shows up in the way that more and more I am less insistent on having my own way. And I am more consistent in putting other people first. And this is what I know. The only way that I am going to consistently love selflessly is to surrender to him completely. Because until my life is submitted and surrendered to him, I'm not going to have the full capacity to be able to consistently love selflessly. In order to love the way that Jesus loves, not insisting on my own way, I need to pray the way that Jesus prayed. Not my will, but your will be done. And as I surrender completely to the Father, he empowers me to consistently love with a selfless love for others. I started off this morning joking about the, the, the young man singing, Have Mine Own Way. The hymn that perhaps for many of us would be well known, and maybe you've had it in your head since I started talking, is Have Thine Own Way. It was actually written, written by a young woman, Adelaine Pollard. In 1902, Adelaine was trying to get to the mission field in Africa. And she was raising funds, and, and it came to the point where she finally realized that, that she was not going to be able to raise the funds that were going to enable her to, to kind of fulfill this dream, and even what she thought was kind of God's dream for her life, to, to be all missions in Africa. And she was so crushed, she was so disappointed in that, but she didn't disconnect from the body of Christ, and she showed up at a prayer meeting. Because you fight your greatest battles from your strongest position in the posture of prayer. And in that prayer meeting, 
there was an older saint, a lady there who, as they were praying, just said, it really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way with our lives. Pollard went home that very night, and she began to write. It just kind of flowed. She began to write, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only, always living in me. You want to love like Jesus loved? Pray like Jesus prayed. You want to love selflessly? You need a strength beyond your own. And that strength comes when we surrender completely. And when we say, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, he begins to fill us with his spirit so that we can live out of a love that does not insist on its own way. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father. How we thank you for your selfless love that showed so clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane and the journey to the cross. And Father, we, we thank you that, that, that Jesus didn't operate out of, out of a posture of selfishness, but, but Father humbled himself in obedience to you and surrendered to your will and way and selflessly loved us by providing for us what we could have never provided for ourselves. And so, Father, today, we just ask, Lord, help us to be toward others as you have been toward us. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And I'm just going to invite you to take these next few minutes and just be still.